Hey everyone, and welcome to Tuning In From Within. I am so excited about today's episode, not only because we're talking about a topic that is very important to me, but also because this is the first episode that I get to co-host with my best friend and my soul sister, Kelly Hurt. Little drum roll. So some of you may remember Kelly from last season when she stopped by to chat with me about food as medicine. Well, after some wonderful feedback from our audience and loved ones, we decided to join forces on this podcast. Welcome, Kel. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here and have so many people to thank. Um, But mostly just thank you for having me here today. And from here on out, I'm excited to be here. And today's topic is such a fun, important one. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to diving in. Yes, me too. But before we do that, I got to give a little background on you because you're kind of a big deal. Oh, stop. So I met Kel while we were both living in Reno, working with AmeriCorps Vista. If you're not familiar, it's essentially a domestic form of Peace Corps, but you do one year as opposed to two years of service. But that's actually how we became roommates was through that network. And then on a professional note, Kelly has recently obtained her master's degree in public health and community health promotion. And she's worked with big companies like Blue Cross Blue Shield, the Wisconsin Department of Health, and the CDC. So basically, she's a rock star and we love her. And the show is now complete with her as my co-host. Wow. Thank you so much. Uh, I want to throw all of those kudos back to you, um, but your listeners already know how great you are. So I will withhold my admiration, but no, it is there. It is 100% there. I mean, if you want to, it's not a big deal. We have time. Oh, do we? Well, let me pull out my notebook. (laughs) No, I appreciate you saying that. But um, Kelly was actually the person who first brought public floor health to my attention, though we both have public health backgrounds and just found out about this area a few years back. Mm Mm-hmm. Anywho, she led me to my pelvic floor specialist and today's guest, Dr. Carla Moore. Yes, I did lead Kara to Dr. Carla Moore, who is a superhero without a cape, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, She's also a licensed physical therapist based in Reno. She specializes in solutions for pelvic floor disorders and pelvic floor health in general. Uh, I actually found Carla because I have a long history of pelvic floor pain that went underdiagnosed and on untreated for over a decade. So again, she is truly a miracle worker and I'm so excited for everyone to hear this segment. Um, I also want to point out that when you are roommates, friends, and share the pelvic floor, a pelvic floor therapist, that's really a bond that you, you can't break. Yeah. Nothing brings you closer than your pelvic floor. So listen to this with all of your friends. You'll be bonded forever. So, Kel, you spoke really highly of Carla, and after hearing about your story when you opened up to me, um, and then me opening up to you about my peeing issues, Mm -hmm. it quickly convinced me to set up that discovery visit with her, which actually will explain what that is further on. But in summary, I really leaned on Carla's expertise and wisdom when I was going through my pregnancy, and she just was a big help in that respect. More specifically, she helped me to relax completely with that whole area, which in turn contributed to my positive labor experience. Also, I'll be sharing that more in a later episode. But she also provided me with manual therapy and at-home exercises, which helped me to be able to work with my body and be really attuned to when Kaya was descending through this area during labor without issues. On her fabulous journey. Yes. (laughs) Through the vagina. And... (laughs) Journey through the vag. (laughs) But I just wanted to mention too, to our listeners, um, that part of this recording is actually going to feature Kaya in the background. So if you're wondering what those noises are, it's my six month old that's just chatting with us about pelvic floor health. She has a lot to say and it is such a great additive. She does. Um, Yeah. But Kara, you actually got a chance to talk with Carla a little while back about the pelvic floor. And because it's such a great topic, uh, less talked about topic, we are going to share a little bit of that conversation with all of our listeners. So let's dive in. All right, everyone. Dr. Carla Moore. I know that you are incredibly busy seeing patients like myself, and I just appreciate your time today talking with us about pelvic floor therapy, pregnancy, and really just the overall importance of the pelvic floor. Yeah, I'm super happy to be here, and I'm so happy that you asked me to be on your show. I'm honored. Thank you so much. 
And I think this is a wonderful opportunity to uh, bring awareness to the muscles of the pelvic floor. And I say we just dive right in because I'm sure people will be listening to this and thinking, what the heck is the pelvic floor? (laughs) Most people (laughs) really have no idea. And Mm -hmm. most often it's because if not, if everything's working right, like in our body, it's not an area that comes up. The area of the pelvic floor itself is located where the pubic bone is. So right between the legs that but where the bone comes together, that's our pelvis. So the pubic bones right there goes pubic bone to tailbone, if you can imagine like underneath, right? It sits in there like a sling or a bowl. So they're there to support the organs in the pelvis. And they also help to control bladder, bowels, and sexual function. And they do a little bit too to support the pelvis and the spine. They're pretty complex. You know, for such an important area (laughs) that holds a lot of things that we are constantly using and functioning with each day, why do you think people don't know much about it? I think honestly that part of it is a cultural thing. Mm. Uh, And it's like taboo. We don't talk about peeing and pooping and uh, sex like out in the open unless there's a problem that comes up. And sometimes people don't know that there even is a problem right? For a while until it really starts to interrupt their life more. What are really the most common, I don't want to say issues, but maybe conditions that people come to see you for or treatment services regarding their pelvic floor? I'd say one of the biggest ones is urinary incontinence. So peeing, accidental peeing when you don't, you know, peeing when you don't want to. Um, Mm -hmm. That's a biggie. And that's mostly, and it happens really in, we think in women, uh, one in three to over 50%, at least at some point um, in a female's life that that's going to happen. And it's probably on that higher side. We don't really know for sure how many it is because a lot of times people avoid an activity that creates a problem. They just stop doing Mm. it. The other thing would be Uh, pelvic pain. So that could be related to maybe it's tailbone pain. It could be lower abdominal pain. It could be pain in the um, vaginal area or or a heaviness feeling. Uh, The other area uh, having to do with uh, bowel movement. So maybe they have chronic constipation is one, uh, probably a really big one that I see. Maybe there's something going on uh, rectally or with their bowels that they're having control problems with that. And then post-prostectomy would be one. Also, uh, pre-partum, peripartum, postpartum. Women will come to me because they are planning on getting pregnant. I've had some, or, and then others when they've gotten pregnant. Uh, mm-hmm. And then afterwards. Guilty. So it's, yeah, <laughs> it could be any, any of those things. So there are many different reasons. And sometimes there's more than one reason that they're coming. And a lot of times it's because people want to get back to doing, either get back to or be able to do the things that they love to do. They want to feel good. Or they also want to make sure, so the other is ensure or prevent things from going awry. Do you feel that that's more rare when people come to you for the prevention side of it? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to say, I mean, that is a great level of awareness that those people have. Right. Right. I'm oh yeah. Cause most of us and me included go along mm-hmm. until, you know, things are like, Oh, I'm good. I'm good. And why did that happen? Yeah, exactly. One thing I have noticed with speaking with other pregnant women is pelvic pain. And I've talked to them about it. And from the women that I've talked to, it's really only a handful. None of them ever thought to seek out a pelvic floor therapist. And I'm just curious you know, why a woman that's pregnant might be experiencing pelvic pain, because I do not experience that. And I'm wondering, it's probably because I see you. So there are many, yes, there's many different reasons. And what Mm -hmm. I look at and what I ask, you know, people when I see them is, as you know, like there's, it's so multifactorial. We look at a lot of different areas to see what could have created this pain. Right. Mm-hmm. So it could be things that maybe something happened a long time ago that that now is creeping up on them because they're adding 
you know, one, your, your ligaments, everything's a little bit looser, right? So the joints are a little bit looser um, with the, the hormones that are, that are happening during pregnancy. That's one thing. Maybe there was a, an issue with maybe they, like you have been a gymnast in the past. Maybe there were several like falls. Maybe there was a, a fall on a tail, their tailbone. Uh, mm. So some things may be coming back that they didn't realize that were resolved, right? So they didn't have any problems. And then as the pregnancy is going on and just depending on what their occupation is, whether they have other children in the home, uh, stress levels, uh, looking at, at all those things can be um, ad- adding to that. The um, pubic bones come together uh, in the pelvis. Uh, that can be kind of a common area that uh, a woman will experience pain. I say the most common area is the lower back. Uh, mm. And then uh, sometimes there may be uh, that kind of maybe a pelvic floor heaviness type thing. So all of those, anything in that area, the lower back, the pelvis, uh, the perineum are all, you know, great reasons to, to see a, a pelvic floor physical therapist and ask, of course, the OB. I mean, I guess I didn't dodge the lower back pain. The rest of it, I'm feeling pretty good in the pelvic floor area, but that lower back pain <laughs> creeps up on me. <laughs> Yeah. And that's so not uncommon. And I'd say that's a great thing to go. It's not something you have to live with. So don't think you have to, I have to live with this until my, my baby is born Mm -hmm. type situation. Those are things we can, we can work on. And I feel very grateful because I was seeing you before I got pregnant and then working through some things already. So I think when I entered that stage of pregnancy, it played it just continued to play more of a supportive role throughout and then into when I'm going to be in labor and delivery. So I'm curious for pregnant people that are listening to this, you know, what are the benefits that they're going to get from seeking you out as opposed to not going to a pelvic floor therapist and ignoring that area? One is for, uh, for everyone out there (laughs) is an, an increased awareness. And then to, I find that a lot of people may not know what their pelvic floor area looks like. Mm-hmm. Like they've never looked at that part of their body. Uh, so they don't know what their perineum looks like normally uh, prior to pregnancy. And so, so as changes are, be- are happening, you may feel changes, but maybe you didn't realize what that looked like before. Mm-hmm. So that's a great thing to know. What's your baseline where what does it look like uh and so using like a handheld mirror is a great thing to do and then the other part is touching yourself so that you can feel what it feels like so that then when you're moving into a chain all these body changes with pregnancy you'll know a little bit more about what uh, because things do happen uh, mm-hmm. and change, of course, <laughs> you're growing a human. <laughs> and <laughs> so things are going to, to change as time goes on. So then you'll know a little bit more and feel when things maybe are, are not quite right. So the benefits are, yeah, to have a, a team member uh, to work with. And then also I can help make uh, suggestions about other specialists, possibly, uh, whether it's a, um, a psychologist is a great person to have on board uh, mm-hmm. so that you have someone to, to talk to and um, maybe work through some things because being, um, you know, adding on, especially first time moms or moms that are adding maybe a second and a third child and how to work mm-hmm. through some of those things. Even, even when things are going well, it's not, things don't have to be going wrong to have a pelvic floor therapist or a psychologist. Um, So yeah, so helping with that and then helping with some knowing how is the function of your pelvic floor right now. So that's what I can help with and helping to answer some of those specific questions about the activities that you love doing and are currently doing and how are those working for you and do you want, what do you want that picture to look like going forward uh, during your pregnancy and then after the birth of your child, um, how do you want that to look also? And to give you the recommendations on what 
what is uh, normal and maybe what are some things that you're like, well, let's talk about what would be the next best course of action, whether it's an activity, exercise, that type of thing. Because it's so individual and it's not a blanket statement of you shouldn't do these things. Yeah. Or don't, don't, because you're pregnant, don't do this. We want to make sure that you have that full coordination and function of the muscles of the pelvic floor so that you're really connecting with those and you have a better understanding it with the birth process. You take a very collaborative, really partner approach with your clients. At least that's what I've experienced. And even just how you're yeah. talking about the experience of seeing, seeing a pelvic floor physical therapist. Um, I love that because most of the time when you go to see medical professionals, it's a, you know, do this, not that. It's just as very much me telling you what to do. And then it's, it's a shot in the dark. If the person's actually going to do it. And it needs to be collaborative because you're, it's yeah. your life and your body and what we need to make it work for, for you. I could tell you a bunch of things and it doesn't make any sense to you. You know, mm -hmm. like if, if it's like, say you're a um, competitive runner and I tell you, well, you're pregnant, don't run just because that's something you hear. So yeah, I want to work with people and it's so important to have a team to do that, mm -hmm. whether it's two of them and the, you know, doula, OB, psychologist, all of that. It's so important. It takes so. a village. It takes a village. <laughs> yes. Truly. And this is kind of the perfect transition into my next question because you're talking about should and shouldn'ts. And if you're a runner, I'm not going to just tell you don't run, especially if that's a huge part of your lifestyle. So with pregnancy and exercise specifically, there's a lot of information out there, a lot of health professionals who give advice saying you shouldn't be doing this when you're pregnant. You shouldn't be lifting heavy weights. You shouldn't be A, B, C, and D. You just hear a lot of shoulds and can'ts in pregnancy <laughs> is what I've noticed. Right. So I'm curious because other than those with very specific conditions, maybe where they really can't be doing those things, are there right. exercises that a healthy individual with a healthy pregnancy should stay away from? So I'd say the biggest thing uh, with that, that's a great, that's such a great question. Uh, so big things to avoid are avoid activities. I can give this is kind of a blanket thing. Avoid the activities that are, uh, that could create falls. So that okay. would be one. So that would be one, a safety thing. So with a higher risk of, for falls, like skiing um, or in contact sports, those type of things, uh, possibly because your balance is off. Right. So you're growing forward. Um, things are off a little bit. So so thinking about that, I would say and if you know that you're someone who may not be uh, your balance is not so great or maybe you trip a lot already and you mm -hmm. are a runner, maybe you need to take it to the street versus trails and rocky terrain. I would say re increased risk for falling for sure. Scuba diving, um, any you know, jumping out of planes, I'd say <laughs> those type of things, <laughs> those really hot type sport, like hot yoga, hot Pilates, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology recommends exercise for yes. when you're, if you're, if you're a healthy person, healthy pregnancy, um, 150 minutes per week split up, right. Of mm -hmm. moderate um, physical activity is important to to remain healthy. And then the other is to remember, I like to, to people to know that they are strong and that um, pregnancy is not uh, a disease and it is mm -hmm. a temporary thing. You want to be mindful about how you're feeling. Are you, are you exhausted? Do you feel tired when you do that activity? Do you feel heaviness or pressure in the perennial area? Are you leaking urine? Um, mm. Are you, you know, things like that. Those are signs that something's, something's going on, not just, Oh, well, I'm pregnant. So I'm going to leak urine. Well, not, I mean, there is a certain amount of that could happen, but there's something going on there too, that we want to address. Okay. That's a weakness of the pelvic floor for whatever reason. Right. Or the system is being overtaxed. Mm -hmm. and it's not able okay. to keep up. So, uh, 
if you're feeling overtired, you would may want to just skip the training for the day and do something more restorative. And it's not necessary to keep pushing yourself through pregnancy and to remember that you are growing a human being. <laughs> so keeping that in mind. Uh, mm-hmm. And of course, we want you to keep doing the things that you love to do because that helps your mental well-being. And at the same time, maybe look at the, those exercises might have to be adjusted a little bit. So it's up to the person to decide, again, what it is based on the, the information that I help to provide to them too. Which so. is helpful too, because yes, there are some limitations and things to watch out for, which... I think just in general, checking in with yourself during pregnancy is so helpful and where your body's at, but being able to seek a medical professional like yourself for that external validation of, okay, you really don't have to push yourself so hard because I, I noticed for myself and for other people, we're receiving a lot of information about how your body should look when you're pregnant, about how you should only be a certain weight, or you should only gain a certain amount of pounds. And I think that that whether it's conscious or not, puts a little bit of pressure within us to want to stay in shape. And what does that look like? Yeah, there are, we push ourselves very hard, I think. And uh, we don't necessarily have to do that. Definitely. And that was one thing I've been exploring for myself. And of course, this is my first pregnancy is before I was doing a lot of weightlifting, which you know, because it was very tense down there. (laughs) And I didn't even realize it, but during this pregnancy, each day is different. I'll wake up and feel really energized to want to do light, you know, very light weightlifting than what I've done before, even more in the terms of like Pilates or low impact, or I'll just want to dance or do yoga stretching, which I feel is very supportive. So given that, what are other exercises that you know are supportive for pregnant women and their pelvic floors? That is, um, yes, that is a great question. So there are, you know, there are, you know, programs online. Uh, I'd mm-hmm. say g- going with how does your body feel? So there are very specific um, practitioners that do programs for pregnant uh, people. So, mm-hmm. and that will help to facilitate a healthy healthy birth, uh, continued strength during the pregnancy. And a lot of it can be kind of on that, the yoga-esque type. So I think a little bit lower impact, uh, walking programs, swimming, um, cycling, those Mm -hmm. type of things where it's not that jumping, a lot of jumping or jarring type activities. Uh, So, and tuning into the area of the pelvic floor with the core and breathing through those with those exercises and adding that in, in a variety of motions is so important too. And, and the area of uh, the hip, um, the hip area, the lower back. And so, and, and with the breathing, how does our diaphragm work with the muscles of the pelvic floor? So that's also really important. So I would say it's not, it's definitely not one size fits all. I think mm-hmm. it is uh, perfectly, f- I, I think it's perfectly fine to lift weights in general during, during pregnancy. And it just depends on the person as far as individual activities uh, for that person, because some people are lifting possibly very heavy weights. And I'm talking about like Olympic lifting type stuff, crossfitters, yeah. that type of thing. I know people that go through their pregnancy lifting and, and do quite well with it. Um, with CrossFit. And then we make changes based upon their body and their experience and their fitness level. And so that being said, if someone maybe doesn't do a lot of activity prior to pregnancy, it's still important to start doing some kind of activity. And I think it's good to get guidance uh, from your provider on that to initially. Uh, It's great because movement is so important and moving our bodies is a great way to go. So mm-hmm. I hope that helps. I know, I know there's a lot of information out there and it's like, well, who do I choose? Uh, so there, you can look at it by, I'd say people are recommended and there's some real big names out there um, mm-hmm. doing the, the pregnancy things. And in your local community, a lot of times there's some uh, 
uh, pregnancy classes that may be online now because of our um, current (laughs) uh, pandemic. But I hope that helps that it there's the the only things I, I, I mentioned, some of the things that are definitely off limits, but if you're a healthy person with healthy pregnancy, then there's a lot of different things that you can do. And like you said too, I mean, just continuing to check in with yourself and your body. Did you do too much? Do you feel good afterwards? Yes. Those simple questions. Yeah. Can help direct. Yeah. We don't have to make it so complex, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But we make everything hard. (laughs) Right. Right. Sometimes we get too caught. If we get too caught up in, am I doing the right thing? Then we get Mm. a little bit paralyzed and don't do anything. Anything. Yeah. So speaking of classes, because I know that you occasionally (laughs) offer some group classes, are those specific to the pelvic floor? And then just what exactly do they entail? So yes, it's the pelvic floor. And it's really about connecting, helping people to connect with their pelvic floor and to start to feel into how that, how their pelvic floor is moving. So some what I find a lot is with uh, conditions of the pelvic floor, or just that we haven't attended to it, uh, we don't really feel what it feels like to maybe contract our pelvic floor, sure, um, and then to lengthen or relax the muscles after contracting is one that I, I find many people are not aware of uh, because that popularity of the Kegel mm-hmm. exercise that yes. we all mostly hear about that. It's like, if you're having a problem, we'll do Kegels. And that's not necessarily true that we want to do that. So, uh, and there's a lot of different strategies that we can employ to help the muscles of the pelvic floor work with improved function. So for people that are just interested in finding out how to set up an appointment with you or even just reach out to you, where do you recommend that they go? So I, my website's probably the best because it has the links to everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's uh, www.renoneurofit.com. And that also has the link for scheduling appointments. And I do offer what's called a discovery visit. And with the pandemic, I started doing those via phone and uh, video chat. So Mm -hmm. uh, people can go on and and schedule that, those appointments. And if they want, just have maybe a question for me, or they can also uh, send me an email uh, that's on my list on my website too. And, or, or give me a call and the phone number is listed on the, the website also. So that's Perfect. where all of those things are. And I like the discovery visit, especially when people have, when it's regarding the pelvic floor area, because we can talk a little bit more specifically about what's going on with them and I can mm-hmm. help them, uh, give them some tips and give them advice and, and then uh, let them know what pelvic floor therapy would look like for them going forward. I loved that first visit because you just create the space to be able to talk about all the things that could be contributing to what's going on and just to be able to connect with you and see if this is right for you, which I don't think a lot of professionals have the time or take the time to do. So it is excellent, regardless of where you are with your pelvic floor. (laughs) The discovery visit. (laughs) I love it. And I do also say that in my space, there is never TMI. So, uh, don't have to, don't have to worry about that. It's whatever you're comfortable sharing with me. Uh, and yes. And I love it. It's great. And and it's fun to talk about because I I will start things with TMI and you always tell me (laughs) it's not TMI, you know, just let it out. (laughs) It's a fun area to talk about, honestly. (laughs) It is right. <laughs> Carla, I will make sure to add everything in our show notes um, so that people have all the information that they need to check you out wherever they are in their pelvic floor life and awareness. And then I just wanted to give you another thank you for being here today and sharing your wisdom. This was so fun. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I really appreciate it. It's been wonderful to be here and to be able to share um, one of my passions, which is uh, working with uh, the pelvic floor. So you and Carla actually began and ended your discussion talking about TMI, too much information, which 
at least for the two of us, has never really been an issue. Uh, here on our podcast, we're always going to be giving you TMI, and it's never TMI. It needs to be mm-hmm. said. Yeah, so it's funny that you bring that up because I would actually forewarn her every time I went in, just because you know you're talking about the pelvic floor; it contains things like your vagina, so naturally things about sex are going to come up. And every time I would go, "All right, Carla, TMI." And every time she'd correct me and say, Kara, you know, there's no such thing as TMI here. So we just let it all hang out there. And it was great. But it's really sad that we tend to cower behind this idea of too much information mm-hmm. because there's that sense of shame when we don't talk about this area often, unless you're talking to a group of moms about post-pregnancy issues like peeing when you sneeze or incontinence, right? Yeah, absolutely. Even then though, I feel like it's not recognized as a pelvic floor issue. It's just kind of something that's destined to happen if you have a kid, right? which is very annoying. You know, no, thank you. I'm not trying to pee myself because I gave birth to a human. Like, yeah, that you've done the, the job of a creator. Yeah, exactly. I don't need to be creator and then a urinator. <laughs> Mom joke. Bada bing. <laughs> anyway, it's mostly just a situation where A lot of women tend to accept that those things are just a part of their lives now, or they have a situation that's like yours where they continue to search for answers after Mm -hmm. being let down by the medical system. Right. And then there's more shame associated with it because it's like, well, I don't have an answer. You know, just no one knows what's going on. And that's what frustrates me so much. You know, the pelvic floor is rarely discussed, um, if ever. And even when people go visit their OBGYN, I, I saw various OBGYN specialists over the years and no one even said the words pelvic floor to me. That's so like, weird. It's the area of your body we're talking about. Why would you not use the words pelvic floor? And then, oh, that would spark something in me to maybe do research on my own. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. It, it just, it seems like such a huge missed opportunity there, right? But I'm curious, when did you realize that something was off with your pelvic floor? Yeah, this is such a long story. So I'm going to try and keep it short. But it actually, I noticed it at a young age, around the age of 10, when I actually got my period. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, I'm 10 years old. No one else has their period at this point in time. Yeah, that's so shitty. (laughs) So shitty. (laughs) Your fifth grade, right? Um, I was going into the fifth grade, yeah. Okay. So, okay, no one even wants to talk about anything related to anything when you're in fifth grade. And now I have a period. Oh, and on top of it, I have intense menstrual pain associated with, associated with it. Lots of cramps. I get nauseous and sick. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I thought, well, you know, this probably is just normal. No one around me I know has my period. There might have been people hiding it, but um, – like I couldn't wear tampons and I just thought that was because of my age. Like, oh, you know, I'm I'm young, so maybe that's why. But I finally figured that out seven years later when I did see an OBGYN and it was fine. It wasn't the best experience I've ever had. She was really nice, but I just wasn't really comfortable with my my body and I felt shame for not being normal. Anyway, so I, I see her and I get an answer about the tampon. Uh issue and you know we figured that out so it was fine but then the pain continued like that didn't fix my pelvic floor problem so going back to the tampon thing yeah you said that you hadn't seen an ob for seven years so that whole seven year period you were not able to use a tampon no and i was on the swim team (laughs) (laughs) not to laugh at that i'm just how did that work out did you just have a diaper oh my god basically (laughs) That was weighing you down. I'm sure you didn't win a lot of competitions because of that. I was actually pretty decent, all right, you know, (laughs) but it was uncomfortable and embarrassing, and I always had it on my mind during my period. You know, it was like, oh, my God, please don't have a tournament or something. Um, Yeah, that's so stressful. So So it's impacting the normal things that you're able to do throughout the day. Right. Super Mm -hmm. unfortunate. It's crazy too, because that's not the only time I've heard something like this. I've also heard of many people who can't wear tampons in general, mm-hmm. um, or they have to use lube to get one in. Which, I mean, tampons are like uncomfortable to begin with when you have to start using lube. It, yeah. We have, yeah, we need to have a bigger discussion about that. I know. I feel like uh, like that alone needs to be unpacked. 
Yeah, we should have a whole episode on that. On lube and tampons. <laughs> yeah, we'll really dive into the weeds there. Yeah. So lucky for me, I, you know, was able to figure out the problem and I got surgery um, because I ended up, you know, it was more of a anatomical problem than it was um, anything else at the time. But after that, you know, I still struggled with the pain, like I said, and, you know, I had pain with sex when I, you know, started to become um, sexually active and then going into my early 20s, you know, it, it did impact the relationship I had at that time, just with my self-confidence. And I just knew that something deeper was going on. So I visited multiple women's health docs through college and found no one, no answers. Um, I visited a women's health doctor in Reno and kind of told her about what I was feeling and experiencing. And she just kind of looked at me and laughed. And she was like, well, you are an enigma. <sighs> What? You are not like anyone else and you're screwed. Is you are a there. loser is what yes. I heard. <laughs> yes. Sex will never feel good. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, it really just impacted my um, approach to the to the health system because I had been fighting for so long to find an answer and just not getting any. You know, it was the, oh, use more lube or whatever, another cookie cutter answer. And then for the period, it was like, oh, well, take ibuprofen. Good luck. Yeah. I've had stomach issues also since the age of 10. So put that on top of it. But I saw a functional nutritionist and I, I told her about this that I was experiencing because I thought maybe it was something because of my stomach or food or whatever. And she said, oh, that's really interesting. I'm actually going to recommend that you see a pelvic floor therapist. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. Who is this Why unicorn? Is- yeah, really. And then I was like, a nutritionist is telling me about a pelvic floor therapist? Why have none of my women's health doctors told me this? Yeah, that's wild. So that concludes my story. 23 years old, seven OBGYNs later, I finally get a diagnosis of vaginismus and endometriosis and could pursue treatment. But this was just my story about the pelvic floor. And there are so many pelvic floor conditions that look so different. Mm-hmm. Um, for so many different people. So first of all, thank you for sharing that because again, there's so much shame around this topic and around that area. So you being able to talk about it really opens up the dialogue for us. And I will say that when they name these different diagnoses, vaginismus is obviously not sexy. Like you're not going to go around and be like, let me tell you about my vaginismus. Yeah. No, I, I held off on getting a sash made um, <laughs> just until they came up with a different name. <laughs> okay. So then after this, because it's already out there, I have full rights to give you a sash. Yes. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> vaginismus awareness. Love it. Going back to your story too, because I have another question. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, when you were seeing different OBGYNs and you're talking about how sex is painful, mm-hmm. was that something where they would just say, oh, that's normal. Just that's where it's like, use more lube. Yep. Right. That, yeah, that's exactly what would happen. I mean, that's its whole other thing of how sex for women is commonly painful. And so that's just normalized. Like, oh, I've heard this before. Use a little more lube. You're good to go. Yeah. So can you give us a brief description of what vaginismus is? Well, what it is, is the contraction of muscles within your vaginal canal. Um, they just stay contracted. They don't relax at all. So over time, think of like, okay, if you're doing the same movement with your back, you get a knot in your back and someone like kind of pushes on it to get it out. That is actually what is happening within your vaginal muscles Mm -hmm. around the canal. So it just makes it tighter and restrictive and vaginismus can be caused by a few different things. It can be caused by trauma, whether, um, you had an accident and your pelvic floor was affected, whether you were sexually abused. Um, and it can also just come from anxiety in general, but it's basically pelvic floor seeing something entering your body as a threat, no matter what it is. So it's really psychological almost as much as it is physical. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times treatment you know, is with the pelvic floor therapist and it's also with a therapist as well. Yeah. Thank you for that description because I, even hearing that, I feel like a lot of people probably have that. Yeah, so many people. It's so underdiagnosed. I mean, I have told 
other, you know, medical people. I'm like, yeah, vaginismus. Oh, yeah, I guess I've heard of it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Cool that you've heard of it. (laughs) Sex education, one of the people on it has vaginismus. Oh, I, yeah, Amy, I was like, dude, you and I, we need to chat. (laughs) I know you're just a character, but let's, yeah, let's talk. Let's get coffee. (laughs) Real life, real life. I'll fly to Britain. You fly here. I don't know. So vaginismus is one of the many pelvic floor conditions that are out there. Your symptoms could include painful or frequent urination, constipation, or just general chronic pain in the lower back or pelvic area. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, some of those things, you know, frequent urination, constipation, like how many times have you heard a friend um, say like, oh, we're going to have to stop a lot on this road trip because I have to pee a lot or... You know, different things like yeah. that, like all these things that just seem quote unquote normal. Yeah, that's me. That I am that friend and I apologize for everyone that's been on a road trip with me. I can wear a diaper if you yeah. want me to, but Me too. That's also me. I was I was speaking in, in tongue there. <laughs> <laughs> it's people like Kara and I. <laughs> yeah. Don't go on road trips with us. Yeah. We'll slow you down. We're really fun, but we have to pee a lot. <laughs> I'm going to share another story if, if that's okay. Um, Please do. I know I've been sharing a lot of things. I'd be offended things. if you didn't. <laughs> um, okay, perfect. I will take <laughs> over the rest of the show. No. <laughs> um, so I actually had, uh, I took a sex education class my first year um, in my master's. And I had a professor who is known for his research in HIV, HIV and AIDS. So you would think he just, he gets it. Um, but he really discounted my symptoms when I did a presentation on vaginismus. I wanted to run an idea by him. Um, and I said, Hey, this is what I'm thinking. This is kind of the program that I want to create based on what we know. And he said, yeah, but you know, that's just probably not true. So maybe rethink your intervention approach. Is this, like, was this in the middle of your presentation? Was this at the end? Okay, so this was, like, kind of right before I was building it and starting to present, you know. I wasn't, like, in front of the class, but I was, you know, in front of my classmates talking about this problem, and I was caught off guard. I was like, I'm I'm sorry. I would just see my pants. (laughs) (laughs) And you know I have urination issues. (laughs) It would be a mess. Yeah. So I was like, okay, hold on. This guy is a lead researcher in HIV and AIDS. So he's obviously comfortable talking about the stuff that people aren't comfortable talking about. So, you know, he, he just didn't know. And honestly, it was at my personal expense because I just felt stupid when in reality, I was telling him exactly the things I have been through, exactly things other people have told me they've been through with this. So I talked him through it and I I made him see where, you know, I was coming from, but it was just a perfect example. If there was just a little bit more education, you know, for him, for everyone, that would be a huge step. So it was very uncomfortable, but, you know, it is what it is. And it's just another example of this is part of the problem. Unfortunately, there's just... A lot of people struggling in silence because of the lack of education. And that's a common theme with women's health in general. And it really comes down to the fact that it's systemic. You know, like you can try and do your own research, but in the end, if the research isn't there, and especially if it's not applicable to your country or you, it might not feel as relevant. Yeah. And it just is so uncomfortable to be put in a situation like that when we are in public health programs. Like that is supposed to be the area where you can have this kind of dialogue, not be shut down like that in front of your peers. Yes. And luckily, you know, I had support from the people I was working with and the people around me, but it just felt like that much more awkward that I felt like I had to put him in his place when I don't, it was a lot. It Mm -hmm. was a lot. (laughs) Put that white man in his place. Someone's (laughs) got to do it. I did. I'm really proud of you for doing that though. Cause again, it's super uncomfortable and that's usually the type of situation where it's easy for us to want to retreat as opposed to standing up for something. Yeah, 
exactly. And I, I appreciate that. Um, it is super embarrassing to talk about, but it needs to be said. And that's, that's where we're going to make changes um, in the system, changes in education to hopefully people don't have to struggle in silence. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to mention to you, so like we can't talk about treatment options for public floor issues without talking about Kegels. So Kelly, do Kegels work? Okay, so million dollar question. Yes, uh, with an important caveat, they're not a one size fits all. Mm-hmm. Um, so just a quick little history lesson here. Kegels were first introduced by Arnold Kegel in 1948. Uh, he was trying to treat what he called genital relaxation, which you know is basically just the loosening of your vaginal muscles, your pelvic muscles. Um, so he coined the term Kegel to describe the voluntary contraction of the pelvic floor muscles, which were was a really important study for women who needed it. Um, but it's not an end-all, be-all, and they can actually be really painful for people. Um, so we know that the Kegel is not for everyone and should be used mm-hmm. with caution and as prescribed by your healthcare provider. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Potentially. <laughs> Good PSA there. So... Yeah. Kegels, like you said, can be detrimental to people like you, Kelly, who mm-hmm. have to deal with vaginismus. Or like myself, if you're someone who spent years doing a competitive sport like gymnastics and I was constantly holding my body in a tightened and tense pose mm-hmm. or position. So everything was just always tense. So yeah. when I went to see Carla and she talked about, I was like, oh, I should probably be doing Kegels, right? Everyone tells me Kegels, Kegels. She was like, no, that's going to overwork and already tense that 10-step area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm happy that Carla debunked that quickly for you. She did, exactly. And it's funny, too, after having a baby and having to pee frequently, which I already had experience beforehand, mm-hmm. the first thing is like, do your Kegels, tighten back up again. <laughs> yeah, find a, exactly a normal. Exactly how you were before. <laughs> You had a baby? I don't care. Do a Kegel and be Yeah, better. do a Kegel. You'll be tight again. So <laughs> I wanted to share a little bit about my first experience with Carla in that first visit. Yes. Tell me so, about it. We identified that I have a habit of contracting my pelvic floor muscles throughout the workday or when I'm stressed. Like I just am constantly contracting there. Mm-hmm. So my therapy involved learning how to relax fully. So when I explain this to people, I, I like poo jokes, you know, they're just classic poo and farts. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like a little kid there, but think when you fart. All right. Okay. And, I don't fart. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're good. You don't fart. You don't poop either. <laughs> and when you're farting, that pressure in that whole area is released, right? You're not tense anymore. You're not holding it in. Right. So now that I've learned how to do that, so fully relaxing that area, I've now moved on in my therapy to essentially the next level, which is holding that contraction and fully relaxing using my breath. So now I'm strengthening that area, which some would call Kegel. It's not exactly that. And then that full release, aka fart, using the breath work. Uh. I love uh, how you committed to that analogy. I think it was well done. Thank you. Um, Thank but you. also the idea of the intentionality behind that contraction and then being able to fully relax after that. Yeah, and just let it rip, you know? Yes. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. um, and the breathing, by the way, is actually something we'll share. Um, Carla has some YouTube videos, so that'll be in our show notes. Yes. Um, and everyone should try it. It's beneficial to uh, basically everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if nothing else, it just makes you aware of your pelvic floor. Um, but the important underlying factor here, Kara, I think, is that we were able to individually advocate for our personal needs in a healthcare setting, which is a big part of what is going to change the system that I've been, you know, dragging on this whole episode and increase pelvic treatment access for everyone. Yes, I agree 100%. And so does Kaya. She is all on board. She understands the importance of pelvic floor health. Um, Teach them young. 
Yes, exactly. And I just want to point out too that, like you said, we have the privilege to be able to seek out these resources. We have the education. And Mm -hmm. so I feel that it's in our position and other people who have that privilege, it's really our duty to change these systems. And so if you're someone that's listening to this and you're thinking, I don't have access, like I don't have all the things that you both have Mm -hmm. and I have these issues, I don't want you to feel like it's your problem to advocate for yourself. And we will include free resources and other things that can hopefully help you in the interim. And I just want to take a few steps back and say that, like, it's hard to tell a medical professional who continues to downplay your pain, continues to put you in a box. It's really hard to say, well, I don't think you're right, you know, to someone who's been trained for so many years. So we often just agree with how they repeat things back to us, whether it's right or it's or it's wrong. And I've obviously done that multiple times because we think we don't have the knowledge to identify our own problems because we didn't go through medical school because it's really easy to second guess your pain. Yeah. And even though people aren't able to articulate their pain, everyone is the expert of their own body. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that are living through this experience day to day. Your doctor sees you once every however often. So it's like trusting the person instead of going in and making assumptions Mm -hmm. is key. And a lot of times there's, there's that missing piece of diving a little deeper, making sure the person feels heard um, and giving time to that person. So like you said, um, being your own advocate is super simple. We're just not taught how to do it. So a few things that can make a huge difference in your care, you can be your own advocate by writing down your pain symptoms before you go so they're on paper and they can't be questioned. They're concrete. You felt these things. You wrote these things down. They are yours. They are yours to tell. Um, You can also make a list of questions you have. uh, But the really important thing here is that you actually have to ask them. The provider cannot read your mind. So Mm -hmm. write them down. Ask the questions. Um, But it's such a huge piece of the puzzle to be really honest and upfront with your current health situation. Because if if you're not honest, again, the provider can't read your mind. And finally, another huge thing is finding a personal support system outside of the healthcare realm. You know, your friends, family, your current partner, anyone you you really trust to listen and to know. Um, They are really important steps and just one piece of the systemic shift that we have to make. Mm-hmm. And those are really great strategies, Kel. I um, want to agree with what you're saying too. If you're in a position where you can be your own advocate or you can recruit someone to be that for you, I think that that's awesome. Mm-hmm. If you're not, just know that we are coming from a place of privilege. We have certain resources that we can that we have utilized. And so I don't want you to feel like you're left with nothing with this episode. We are going to list some free resources for you too, just to get you started and um, always reach out. You know, we'd love to chat with you and just see how we can be of assistance too. But the show really is all about learning to listen to our bodies and really how to act on what we learn. Here at Tuning In From Within, we want to give you the tools to recognize that ultimately you're the expert of your own health and well-being. Thanks for tuning in. Tuning Tuning out out for now. now.